0: Greetings, Chapel family. I'm Jay Halley, one of the pastors of the Chapel, and with me is Pastor Mark Geisbauer, and together we get to walk through a lesson uh, with you today related to uh, some of the last words, sentences of Jesus on the cross, and uh, how appropriate as we approach Good Friday and Easter.
1: Mark. Yeah, and Jay, um, I left a story that you shared at one of our campuses just recently, and I thought it was so fitting that I want to share it with all of you today. And it was about this little old stone church in the countryside of England. And, um, you know, and so the church actually had a stone engraved in the front of the church, and in there it said, we preached Christ crucified. And I love that. And that's what the church did at the time, right? They went and they taught about the crucifixion and what Jesus did and how he sacrificed for them. And that was amazing. Now, the church also had a little bit of a problem because there was ivory um, growing in front of the church. And as part of that, over time, eventually that last word ended up being covered up by the ivory um, uh, vegetation. So it ended up being, we preach Christ. And so the people at the church, that's what they did. They ended up talking about Jesus and what a great man he was and the miracles that he was performing. And it was amazing. Now, again, over time, something else happened because more and more of the vegetation happened. And we ended up with the the sign only saying, we preach. And again, that's what the church then did. They decided to preach. And they preached about world religions and about all the things, theology. And uh, people were still growing in their faith. But again, over time, the ivy continued to grow. So they ended up with just the we. And so they decided, okay, well, let's make it about ourselves, and they were worried about each other and what was best for them. And over time, because of that, the church eventually ceased to function how God had intended.
0: And so they forgot the cross. I love that story. You know, they say that life imitates art, and sometimes life imitates that which is fiction. That's a fictional story. But it's a story that's repeated in churches around the world all the time. And some of you may know my story. I've told it many times. I'll tell it again. When I was age 20, that's when I became a Christian, when I put my faith in Jesus, when I became a Christian. And um, one of the first things I did was to go home from college to speak to the minister of the church in which I grew up. And uh, we sat there in his office, which was filled with books uh, representing different philosophies and religions around the world. And as I told him about my newfound faith, that I had become a Christian, he really didn't know what to say to me, which was interesting. Now, fast forward three years later, a tragedy hit in his life. And because of that tragedy, he turned to Jesus, and he himself became a Christ follower, became a Christian. Now, this is the minister of the church in which I grew up. Mm -hmm. So our conversation after he turned to Christ was far different than our first conversation. And he told me in our second conversation that for 17 years as minister of that church, he never once taught on the cross of Christ. He said it was too barbaric. Well, no wonder I was lost for so long and so many other people. I never really put Jesus and God and the cross together. But what I've come to understand is that at the heart of true Christianity is the gospel, which means good news. And at the heart of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus, that's Easter. But at the heart of the resurrection, is the cross. What precedes the resurrection is the cross. It is the crux and the core of true Christianity, which, Mark, is why we preach Christ crucified. And we don't want the ivy to grow up over our church and to cloud that. And which is also why we take seriously the last words of Jesus.
1: Yeah, and that's why we want to talk today about his last words, saying, it is finished. John 19 verse 30. But before we get there, let me just give you maybe a little bit of context, because the crucifixion actually started around 9 a.m. that morning. And actually, to be honest with you, the Roman soldiers were very much like the Germans, which I am one of, to start right on time. And so most likely right at nine o'clock, the crucifixion started. Imagine Jesus, three crosses, Jesus in the middle, and the two criminals, one on each side. But then suddenly at noon, something changed. The sky that was beautiful before all of a sudden turned dark. And we're not talking just a little dark or an eclipse or maybe some cloud coverage. I mean, we're talking about pitch black darkness. Maybe you've been in a room before where all of a sudden the light switched off and you can't even see your own hand in front of your face. Well, that's how I imagined that darkness being at the time. It was a darkness that was thick and was black and it was more than eerie, it truly felt evil. And it lasted for three hours, starting at noon, 12.30, 1, 1.30, 2, 2.30. And at three o'clock, all of a sudden, it disappeared as fast as it came. So whatever happens in that time of darkness was that Jesus was brought to the door of death. When Jesus spoke, he was quoting Psalm 22, and he said this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason why he did this is because it was a deep expression of the anguish that he took on our sins upon himself. He actually almost died a double death. Now on one side he had the physical death, but then also the separation from his father God, him cast into hell, was the second death that he experienced. And then this is where we find the words for today out of the book of John. And I'm going to start reading from verse 18. And this is what it said. The death of Jesus. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked it in a sponge, put it on a bicep branch, and held it up to his lips. And then Jesus had to taste it. He said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit.
0: Those words are something else. It is finished. I want to try to unpack that a little bit. But let me ask you first, Mark, what, what are some things in life that you're glad you started and really glad you finished?
1: Yeah. Um, come to mind, first thing I'm thinking about is we built actually a house three years ago. And I love when that project was finished. Or one of my jobs at home is doing the dishes every night. And so I feel relieved. I feel like I need to say it is finished every time I finish the dishes or now that we've had the kids home more often I think my wife and I both agree that we're finished with having kids
0: <laughs> I know for I know for me uh, when I have when I'm doing a workout exercise I'm, I'm always glad when I'm finished um, I'm glad when I'm done with a house project maybe it's painting a room or something like that uh, I'm glad when I'm done mowing the lawn but then I know I've gotta I gotta do it the next week and then I'll be finished and then I'll have to do it again Jesus says, it is finished. Interesting words, actually translated from the Greek word, tetelestai. It's just one word. Years ago, I remember going to a musical called Tetelestai. It was all about the, the, the cross of Christ. It was beautiful, beautiful music. But I remember learning eventually that it is finished, tetelestai. The grammar of it is interesting. It, it's actually, the, the, it's called the perfect tense. Um, Not the past tense. The past tense would be like, I mowed the lawn. That's past tense, but then this week I got to mow it again. The perfect tense is, it is finished. It has been finished, and it forever will remain finished. So, it is finished. Forever finished. That's what Jesus meant. But what is the it? What does it mean, it is finished? I'd like to For us to get to that in just a few moments, Mark, and and just the so what behind it is finished. But let me just take us down a a lane of uh, history and theology just for a few moments so we can get some context. This is very generally speaking, but let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Chapters 1 and 2, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates... Adam and Eve, and everything is perfect between Adam and Eve, and everything is perfect between Adam and Eve and God, and, and between Adam and Eve and creation, everything is good, and then they do something silly and stupid, and they walk away from God's leadership, and this thing called sin enters the world. Now, that's culturally an ugly term. I like to define sin as uh, active rebellion and passive indifference, and Adam and Eve were both. We all know what sin is. It's in all of our hearts. I saw a picture the other day, Mark, of the coronavirus. At least I think that was a picture of the coronavirus, and it looked nasty. And we all know it's contagious, and we all know that it has some sticking power. It stays with you, and that reminds me of sin. That's the way the Bible sort of imagines this idea of sin. It stays with us. And the Bible is really clear. All of us have this sinful nature. We're all born with it. It's nasty. It's contagious. It has sticking power. And it's the very thing that keeps us separated from God. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, God was presented with a problem. And the problem is this, is that God is holy and he's perfect. And he will not entertain sin in his presence. But God is also extremely loving. He loves what He created. He loves Adam and he loved Adam and Eve. He loves you and me, and He wants us in His presence. So how do you do both? Keep us away, but bring us near. And So God designed a solution. And it was a substitutionary sacrifice system. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The wrath of God towards sin, the punishment of God towards sin, had to go somewhere, but rather toward people, it was toward an animal. And so, for years, the Israelites would, would bring an unblemished, uh, spotless animal, a lamb, a goat, uh, some type of animal, to the temple where the priest would take that animal from the individual or from, from the dad or from the mom on behalf of the kids and the, and the priest would put his hand on that, the head of that animal, symbolizing the transferring of the sin from that individual, from the mom, from the dad, from the kids onto that animal. And that's where the wrath of God would go. And because of that, they would be forgiven. And they would go home and they, by faith they would know that they have a right relationship with God They are forgiven. And then a year later, well, kids, it's time to go back to the temple. Go find another goat. Go find another lamb that's spotless and blemish. And let's go see the priest again. Again. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the prophets showing up. Giving a signal over and over that one day God is going to do something different and someone will come And that someone will somehow make it all right between people and God. One day, John the Baptist is standing there and he looks up and he sees Jesus coming. And he says these words. Maybe you know these words. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus hung on the cross. And when he hung on the cross the punishment of God, the wrath of God, the anger of God, all went on to Jesus, who shed his blood on our behalf. It's called the great exchange, where where Jesus takes our sin onto himself, and in exchange, he gives us his righteousness, a right relationship with God to anyone who believes. So, it's interesting to me, Mark, that... Of all the things Jesus wanted us to remember about him, it was the cross. He gives us communion, the bread and the cup, to remember the cross. And these words, these words, like, it is finished. We are to remember that. What does that mean? It is finished. What's the so what behind it is finished? And I can can think of one. And that is, no more sacrifices. It's done. It is truly finished. Thinking about the, the book of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 3, it says that after Jesus died on the cross, he went and sat down. It's a symbolic picture of him being done. There's nothing more to be done. We don't need to take sacrifices any longer. I think of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, where it says that Jesus died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God never again. It is finished. Mark, you and I have both have been different places in the world. I remember being at a temple in India, watching these dear Hindu people with their fruits and vegetables and so on, taking them into the temple to present them to this golden idol. And the problem is they'll have to do it again and again and again. But we don't have to. It is finished. How about you, Mark? What's the so what behind it is finished?
1: Yeah, Jay, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about my own life. And I don't know what your story was like. I know mine, and I have a lot of shame and guilt that I've been carrying for a long time in my life. And I know many people probably feel the same way. Well, for me, it is finished means exactly that. No more condemnation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you have done, where you've come from, what you've experienced. God set it all free for me and for you. And I love that, um, especially what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 7. And he talks about this war within. And, you know, we, we don't do the things we know we should be doing, but we end up doing the things we don't want to do. And I can certainly relate to that. But again, for me, it is finished means exactly that. Jesus, on that cross, took all of our past, our history, and He's given us forgiveness.
0: No condemnation. No
1: condemnation.
0: And you know what I think about, too, is... Um we can get off the treadmill, out of the performance trap. You know where I work out or where I used to work out. Our gym is now closed, but uh, I would typically use a couple machines. One is this, these rotating stairs. I call it my stairway to heaven. However, I never go anywhere. The stairs just keep coming. I could walk a mil- I, could, I could step a million steps and still never go anywhere. I could be on the treadmill and go a million miles and still never go anywhere. And the Bible says that we can never do enough to get close to God because of our sin problem. Um, You know, I I like to use the the illustration of do versus done. All of the religions of the world are spelled D-O. The problem with that is how do you ever know when you're doing enough? How do you ever know when you've gone far enough? How do you never ever know when you've earned God's favor when you have earned God's forgiveness. And the truth is you never really know. It's like a salesperson being told to meet a quota, but never being told what the quota is. It is a dead-end road. But in true Christianity, it is spelled D-O-N-E. God has done for us through Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. I don't need to live in that performance trap. I can get off the treadmill. I can trust in Jesus because he says it is finished.
1: See, it also reminds me about no more fear we mm. need to carry. Yes, right. You know, one of the main commandments in the Bible that we find over and over is, don't be afraid, don't be anxious about anything. Actually, my favorite verse in the Bible is Joshua 1 verse 9, and in there we are commanded not to be afraid. Why? Because Jesus and God, they are with us. They have a plan for our lives. You know, they created us, they designed us, and yes, we make missteps, but ultimately, nothing is out of his control. Nothing is going to happen that is going to be taken as him by surprise. And I love that because his sin paid for it all. And his, res- his death and his resurrection made all the difference. So no matter what happens, the good news is that Jesus is still there. And it just hit me this week even. You know, imagine the Son of God. He already died for us, but he also went to hell. For you and for me and the mistakes that we have made. And man, if he is for us, why should I ever need to be afraid again? If somebody has done that for me, man, I know he's on my side. And I know that he's going to go with me the entire difference. And then ultimately, you know, I mean, I've read my Bible to the end. And I know in the book of Revelations, it talks about how the story is going to finish. And I know who's going to be at the end. And I just want to read out of Revelations because it really stuck out to me. Revelations 21, verse 3 and verse 4, where it says this. It says, I hear a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God is home now amongst his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And I love what comes next in verse 4. He says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I mean, it doesn't get more finished than this.
0: Mm. Someday, no more coronavirus. Uh-huh. None of the things we have to deal with. None of the trials and sufferings we have to deal with. Well, Mark, uh, in this time of uncertainty, in these crazy times, I don't know how many times i heard the word surreal used, in this surreal time, what are some things, some practical things we can do to, to, to um, take this idea that it is finished, the essence of the cross, which is the essence of the gospel, which is the essence of true Christianity. What can we do to tuck those things deep down into our hearts? And I'll start with one, and it's, it's a phrase I heard from Jerry Bridges, an author, years ago. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Let's remind ourselves of what is true, because you know what? The center of our lives is what we believe that then is translated into what we ascribe importance to, and that then is translated into what we think about, what we talk about, how we act. What is true about the Gospel? And so how do, we, how do we get there? What are some things we can do very practically to speak the Gospel into our hearts?
1: Well, one thing that I love doing is simply reading God's Word, getting into the Bible, and reading what God has been doing, the story of Him, and how he's finished and what he has done as part of that process. And I know some of us have more time now than probably ever before, and why not use this time investing more time in the Bible? And there's great resources out there on right now Media that will show you for free videos teaching you on God's word. But I also love just picking up my Bible myself and start reading and saying, God, what what do you wanna teach me today? And how can I apply that to my life? I found that fascinating.
0: Mm. I'll add to that. Um, they say the difference between reading and studying is a pencil. Uh, t- take a pen or a pencil and open your Bible and just begin to make notes uh, as you read. Uh, things you note that are true and right and good, and things you want to apply to your life, and memorize even. Uh, some people say I can't memorize. Well, we can not memorize. Here's a here's a, here's part of a verse to memorize. How about "It is finished"? That would be a good one uh, because it means so much to our lives. Uh, So to study and to memorize, uh, read, study, memorize. What what else, Mark?
1: Well, I love to spend time just talking to God. I mean, any relationship lives from communication. I can't have a relationship with my wife and not talk to her, Mm -hmm. you know. And so spending time with God, just especially maybe with a thankful heart as we're going into this season. I mean, I know there's a lot of things that we can focus on that are negative. But man, if I just read this and read what Jesus has done and what you just shared, that fills my heart with gratefulness. And even just to say, hey God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you came down from heaven to this earth to save us. You died for us, man, that fills my heart with gladness. And it helps me a lot of times just to refocus myself on what really matters to have that grateful heart to him. Mm. What else?
0: Well, earlier when you were sharing the story of the ivy growing up over the church, and then I shared my own story um the reason I could share my own story so freely is because a number of times I've written that out so that I could communicate it freely to people. And maybe you've done that before, but what a great exercise to write out your story. If you've put your faith in Christ and you have a relationship with God through Christ, have you ever written it out? That's a good thing to do. Just one page of paper. This is what my life was like before Christ. Christ and then after Christ. And then, once you've written that out, be prepared to tell somebody.
1: Correct, because I think I want to take it one step further. Don't just write it out, but then share it with somebody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I look at our news today, and if I know the news even in the last year or two or three or five, it's always negative. Well, I think people are desperate for hope, and right. what greater hope for us to share with them about what has Jesus has done and in my life and in your life and So just take that moment to share that. But as we're wrapping this up, um, Jay, let's just spend a moment in prayer. Would you mind? Yeah, please. Let me say, dear God, I just want to thank you for today. I thank you for everybody who's listening and watching. And God, man, it's so great to know and to hear those words from you that you were finished. You finished dying for us, for our sins, for the mistakes that we've made. And this is the loving act that you have given us. And God, as we're going into this week, we need you more than ever so god i just pray that you will wrap yourself around us help us to take those next steps no matter what that means for us today to grow closer to you and to make a difference in the life of the people around us thank you that you have given us hope and that you are source for life and for eternity we thank you amen well thanks so much for being with us thanks for joining us today And I think there's no better way of finishing than with the words that Jesus said himself. Well, it is finished, and so are we.